This week on New Tricks, we're joined by Patrick Grant, partner and co-head of Long Income at Alpha Real Capital, who enlightens us with an array of biscuit facts, including why biscuits are the reason that Liverpudlians are called Scousers. Oh yes, it's educational, you see. We also talk ground rents, why the plethora of benchmarking data available makes hotels a joy to invest in, and how we find our collective voice. Welcome to another episode of New Tricks, which is the very regular, almost weekly, in fact, uh, podcast from New Dog PR, which is us. That's me, Emily, and Catherine, who is in Paris with a sleeping dog. How are you, Catherine? Bonjour. I'm very good. Thank you. How are you? All right. All right. The sunny southwest is resplendent. So we're we're fine. Thank you. Patrick Grant is joining us today. And Patrick is, let me get this right, he's partner and co-head of Long Income, more of that later, uh, at Alpha Real Capital. Patrick, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. Thank you both. And uh, nice to be here with you. Well, many thanks for joining us. As you know, these things are a very informal affair. They are 97% biscuit content. 3%, you know, investment, hotels and whatnot. Like my life. Exactly, exactly. We know it's life imitating art, isn't it? How has, how are you? How's your pandemic been? Give us a sort of overview of the general state of, state of play. Um, I I think, well, personally, I'm, I'm, I'm generally one of those people who uh, doesn't get too stressed about things. So that's been relatively straightforward. And, And actually where we sit as a, as a business and where we sit in the investment universe, we're, Probably less stressed than most people. Um, we, we've had, it's been a fairly tough ride, but it's one that when we compare to people that we work with and deal with on every day, it's been straightforward than most. So, uh, yeah, we, we're, we're sort of fairly thankful for where we are at the moment. And I think every day teaches you that at the moment. So, yeah, I guess just just, just being a long, long-term business mean that you've been really irritating everyone and by saying, well, you know, we have to look to long it, 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 it has its it has its positives and its negatives, absolutely. But you know, when we think about you know this this phrase that we use of long income, but you know, income may be long, but people may only be buying it and holding it and selling it in, in short periods. We're, we're long in every sort of sense of the word. So we buy income streams that are very long, but we also have people who expect to be owning it for very, very long periods, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. So actually, you know, one of the things that we do is, you know, one of the benefits we've had is we think more about what's going to happen after this than, than the troubles that are happening at the moment because we assume that there are going to be short periods every 10 years or it may be a, another GFC, it may be another pandemic. We have to think about you know, very, very long-term cycles. So um, we're, we're, yeah. We're very long-term and we try not to go too happy when things are going well or too down when things are going badly. We kind of sit in the middle. That's a very nice place to be. It is a very nice place to be. It kind of tries to mirror my personality. (laughs) Where does does the pandemic then fit in for you in terms of the cycle? Because um, as far as I can remember from before this, the cycle was, oh, a bit concerned about too much supply coming onto the market was where the cycle was. And and the US had been very, very well performing for a long time, which kind of gave everyone sort of Gordon Brown style confusions about an end to boom and bust. Yeah, we, we, we're very much focused on the micro of the world when we're looking at things. So whilst we do a lot of investing in the hospitality space, we're theoretically sector agnostic so we invest across the whole of the real estate universe 
a lot of it is in hospitality because we like the sector and more than happy to dip more into that as we, we get into it and the reasons why. Uh, so everything we, that we do is is just thinking about does does what we're investing in have the capacity to work in a very long-term way? Nobody can really predict what's going to happen in the future. If it's a hotel, is there going to be a new bypass in 25 years that stops this asset being viable? Nobody can really predict that. But when you're investing in something and putting capital in, into something, does it have the ability outside of what you can foresee to actually support a very long-term income? So everything we think about is, is, is it the right thing in the right place at the right time? Do you, do you see hospitality as more flexible than offices or retail? You, I'm not going to say pivot, but um, uh, but is it is it the case that you can, if you've got a hotel building, there's more you can do with it if demand changes than there is if you've got an office block? Or uh, absolutely, but I think the a question we get asked quite a lot, or I get asked quite a lot, and which is. You know, the main focus of it is you know, why do you guys like investing in hotels for your particular niche of the market? And I give the same answer um, most of the time, which probably bores a few people. But it's you know, the, the quality of information that you get to base a decision on when you're investing in hotels and hospitality, in my view, is probably the best in any part of the real estate world. So the way that the hotel world produces benchmarking data on almost live performance in terms of day-to-day performance occupancy, RevPAR, where are costs going, where, where are costs not going, um, looking at the external influences that are driving where people are using the product, um, you know, the wider economic or socioeconomic reasons that people are going and using hotels is so much more transparent in this sector than it is in, take the oldest, most traditional sector, commercial sector of offices. Yep. You buy an office building, you uh, are... You know, you're in competition with the building next door for uh, an occupier who is going to be using that building for totally unconnected purposes to the physical building itself, and they just either choose building A or choose building B based almost entirely on cost. And what are the metrics that you can measure on that? It's almost impossible to do it, to actually look at the true demand drivers that you're investing in. Uh, so you know, it's why I've always been a huge fan of investing in this sector. It, it can, you can make mistakes, but uh, you've made mistakes based on better data than you've had in pretty much anywhere else you can put, put your capital. Mm, very wise, very wise. Um, we've seen quite a lot of things change during the pandemic, uh, some for the good, some for the bad. What in your, what in your world specifically has changed have you have you have you been cleaning any bedrooms for example um what so so what's changed in terms of um yeah what's what's changed in your world and are they likely are those changes likely to stick or may they all just go back to exactly what we knew before um yeah well at a personal level this you know the idea of flexible working is is absolutely there to stay i think and most um, most businesses will be looking at that and people are approaching it from different ways. And that absolutely has a knock-on effect into every sphere that you're thinking about. So, you know, at the moment where we are in our businesses, most people are averaging two or three days a week in the office and two or three days a week at home. And some weeks it might be five days if you're on a particular project. Some weeks it might be one day in. Um, but actually that, that change in people's working habits is going to have a huge knock-on effect into every industry that we we work in or we invest in or how we think about things. And I think that's one of the great unknowns out there is how that's going to wash through at the moment into 
into hotel use, into office use, into high street retail, into libraries, into schools, into everything that, that you know, how the world's going to be affected by this is so unpredictable compared to the normal state of affairs where it's a, you know, the GFC was a purely economic issue that caused a, a global crisis. This is a, a social issue which has which has had an economic effect, but it's actually changing behaviours. And you know, I, I just find I think that's a fascinating thing to think about. And trying to figure out where things are going to be in a few years' time is is just a really interesting thing that we're going to all have to do over the next few years. Do you think people might work from hotel? Is that a thing? Yeah, well, it ties into one of those things of you know one of the the biggest area that hotels miss out on is between 10 o'clock in the morning and five o'clock in the evening and getting people into them and using the space is it's always been an opportunity that's never really been harnessed in in hotels and hospitality is this idea of flexible working um something that they can think about and actually latch onto and and create something that brings people in because at the moment you have that pretty much dead time in the day outside of you know whether you're doing conferencing or meeting or events where that eight-hour period where people are at work and they're not using the hotel. How do you actually create footfall which will roll onto income and revenue in there in the future? So you've got to look at things and try and be creative about how you're going to adapt and change things and offer something that people didn't necessarily think they needed before or didn't realise they needed. Things like that will be, I think, will be fascinating to see who are the people who, who figure that out and, and take what's happened as an opportunity to try and create that follow market that's never really been solved. You raise an absolutely valid point. And one of those things that they could use, you're welcome. It happens um, rarely. One of, <laughs> one of the things they could do to entice people in is perhaps the incentive of biscuits because everybody enjoys those. Before you talk about biscuits, I heard a number around this debate the other day and yes, which is so back to your benchmarking point um, or your KPI point, we're seeing numbers are starting to creep into this endless. Are we all going to work from home? Are we all going to work from hotel? What's going to happen? Is everyone going to get dogs? What's going to happen to all the dogs? Um, debate um, is that the Agile CEO said on Bloomberg yesterday or the day before that they obviously uh, were trying to set themselves up for, for this before with the deal with Wojo and please come into my wonderful lobby and leave your old person behind and we'll put them on the train as they're offering at one point, I recall. They moved on from that specifics um, to saying um, that they expected to see a number of people working from home uh, in the future and that 70% of people who work from home, which is a big number to be throwing around the place, do not want to actually work from their house. I think that's absolutely true, and you know, just all you have to do is take take straw polls from people that you live with, you know, and particularly the younger generation, you know, um, you know, people who are um, just get starting off in working life who have, have spent the last year, they've had the really the toughest time by far. I think you know, people are often in in shared homes, and when you when you're getting on in a career, what you want to do is actually be involved in how people are making decisions. I was having this discussion with um, uh, and and an investment bank uh, um, contemporary who shall remain nameless and their business shall remain nameless, but having this debate with them a few days ago and about how to do things, what to do, and actually they're, they're encouraging full return to work primarily as a reason of keeping their juniors happy because these guys have been sat in shared houses, been having emails with spreadsheets sent to them and saying, right, in 24 hours I need 50 versions of this preparing and sending back to me. And these guys are, are losing the... Uh, the benefit of 
yes, they're doing the same amount of work as they used to, but they're not part of the discussion of why do we need this doing and incentivization of people actually feel engaged in what they're doing. And you can't do that fully working from home. So finding a way where you don't have to commute fully into the office, but you can actually be in a space where you can actually work with people but have a sufficient privacy is it's just a massive upside for somebody in, in whoever figures it out. So, you know, it, it, you know, it's a number, but it sounds like a real number to me. Yeah, so I was quite struck by it because the, the, the majority of the argument at the moment seems to be it's okay, you can move to the Orkneys and still work in London. And I thought that's... that's. Did, did you did you see, I saw a documentary, I think it was on, was it BBC, um, a few months ago about the visa that uh, Barbados was offering, the working, v, working COVID visa. So people in the UK who were renting out their UK house, getting a visa, moving to Barbados, renting a house and as long as you're happy to get up at four in the morning do your uk time work and finish at um one or two in the afternoon um you know being five hours behind um and then uh, and then having the rest of the day so people were moving entire families down there being given these free working visas so i can't remember there was an incredible number of people who found out about this and took it up so unfortunately one of the things in life i missed out on I could be persuaded. I could be persuaded. Um, to your point about the sort of younger generation, Patrick, you and I met approximately 375 million years ago at a large agent who dealt in hotels and leisure and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and a very lovely time it was too. And uh, I was but a youth then. And I do remember just the level of insights you got from just being immersed around immersed within that culture within that environment the conversations that you you're not necessarily a part of you just you're just absorbing it and and i think yeah and if you're not part of that um there is no way you can't do it on a zoom call because you can't have you can't as you've said many times Catherine, you can't talk nonsense on a zoom call and that bit is just completely removed it's all focused and you're there for a reason and then the call ends and and off you go and it's just that general level of awareness and understanding um that you need to be in the room to get the the turnover of staff stats of sort of sub 30 year old in sort of professional industries over the last year year and a half has been incredible i don't know if you see i was reading something the other day and it, it's just a monstrous thing and actually the number of people who are actually being lost to industries totally because they're not getting that engagement they're, they're doing the work but they're not getting the positives of being with people so you know, i'm a great believer that human beings are social things and whilst working from home one or two days a week in the long term is probably a fantastic thing for work-life balance people will need to be in these kind of environments for probably on balance just a little bit more than the majority of time is is the right thing to be doing, it feels like. Yes, I saw it described somewhere today as the uh, this current period as the great resignation. Mm, I've seen that. Yeah, I've seen that. Uh, so, yes. Mm, I have, we have. Can I wedge, can I shoehorn my biscuits in please now? Please, your biscuits, yes. yes. Biscuits on. Okay, as, as we were. So, as you mentioned, um, people are very sociable. They also like to gather and eat. Um, and they one thing they may eat, I'll get this tenuous thinking, I don't care how, it will happen. Um, one thing they like to eat is biscuits. So, Patrick, if you were to, were to be sociable and eat a biscuit with some colleagues, what biscuit would that be and for why? I like the way that you've now, you've now, it's not just about biscuits, it's about you have to do it with your colleagues. It's like a thing. I respond to, I respond to my surroundings. 
there's an entire debate there. Would you eat the same biscuits in front of colleagues that you'd eat in privacy of your own home? There's That's you're getting into a into a very deep conversation there. So, oh gosh. My old, my old in college, did a, we did a whole thing, and he was a, a prominent financial journalist whose name I won't name here, but it was Robert Cole at the Times, and um, and, uh, and he did a whole lecture on what to eat at business lunches and how not to screw that up. So, um, so yes, no gazpacho because of the Billy from what's the name? Julian <laughs> Steps? No. Two, yeah, Billy, who used to be married to Chris Evans. There we go. Just going to lower that. So, Billy Piper. Billy, Billy from where? Billy Piper. Billy Piper. Billy Piper. Billy Piper. Yes, there was an incident where someone gave her some gazpacho and she asked it to be warmed up, for example. Oh. You want to avoid if you cook his lunch. So, yeah, so no eating chicken. Unless it's done in a really, really exotic way, because chicken is very bland meat, and the person opposite you will think that you are very bland. Uh, nothing involving spaghetti, obviously. No, no. Obviously. That's that the obvious one, isn't it? Exactly. And nothing where you might have to pull off a head. Or <laughs> you want to go completely in the other direction. So I had a business lunch with someone which resulted in the immediate sponsorship of our event because I ate the brains, which were in a uh-huh. lovely piped mashed potato around them. Very good. Very good. I think we've all learned something today. We have. <laughs> on, the, on the subject of learning, I, I, you know, I don't know if you've had people do this before with your obsession with biscuits. I did do some research onto some interesting biscuit facts. So, Oh, well, you are up to the top of the class. Well done. I've, I've picked three for you. And uh, so I'll, I'll give you my answer on, on biscuit preferences, but I'll give you these three facts. You may know them, you may not know them. So biscuits, do you know what they were originally designed for? Not for eating those biscuits. Lobbing at something. Your shoes. No. They were originally used to make beer for sailors. So people going on long sailing voyages as a way of storing barley into hard biscuits. And they would soak them and add sugar. And then you, you could make beer with them when you've been at sea for six months. So that's number one. Why do they still do that now? I could, I could, I could have some biscuits and start soaking them. So here we go. Right, sorry, I've written them down. I just need to uh, uh, check this. So, biscuits are why Liverpoolians are known as scousers. <gasps> so this is good. Well, the, the other it, it's kind of linked to the first one. So there's a theme here for ships. Biscuits weren't meant to be eaten as biscuits. They were meant to be soaked with other foods to create stews. Uh, and this stew was called a lobscouse. And because Liverpool's industry was so much around the shipping industry in the old days, everybody who worked and lived in Liverpool became known as a scouser. So really, it's like that that desiccated ice cream that you're always buying at the Science Museum that they eat in space. Yeah. Last and possibly my favourite, digestive biscuits were invented to cure an epidemic of flatulence. Oh, my goodness. Did it work? So. It was, it was believed at the time in Victorian Britain that uh, the digestive was actually sold as a flatulence remedy. So really, when you're buying digestive biscuits, so back to your office eating biscuit eating. We judge you what you on what you eat. Biscuit eating. I bought in the packet of digesters for the team because really... <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying you're working a bunch of old farts is what you're saying? That would be the best case scenario in that point, yes. Yeah, much worse. Interested to know if uh, anyone had answered digestives with their favourite biscuit. So now you know why they said it. Exactly. That's this is, I'm never going to eat them again. This is going to be my secret secret eating. <laughs> I feel like we have to go back through all the archive podcast, uh, podcast archives and see if anyone did answer digestives. Um, Frank, 
frankly, I think we can just take the rest of the year, maybe even next year off podcasting, because that is just, we've surpassed expectations now with the biscuit facts. Thank you so much, Patrick. That's right. Always research for a meeting. It's very, very wise, very wise. Um, and so we're going to assume that digestives are not your biscuit of choice. <laughs> no, no, not in this case. Anything dark chocolate, so dark chocolate hobnob has to be absolute top of the tree. You are not the first person who's highlighted the joys of a dark chocolate coating on a biscuit. So they're obviously gaining in popularity. Mm. Mm. Very good. Very good. Do you two want to chat leases? I assume I'm just going to be like the third cog in this wheel. And at some point you're going to go deep into the lease weed and I'll just sort of potter over here at some point. Not necessarily. Though I was having a... I was... It's fair to say this isn't the first time today I've thought about leases. Um, (laughs) You're not the only one, Catherine. But um, I was thinking about the Ennismore deal um, and the lease, lease. I want to think of another word than dumping ground. Um, I haven't got there yet. <laughs> They've come up with. Um, they are dump, not dumping them, putting, placing them delicately and purposefully with, um, uh, now what was the name of it? Uh, something ream. A third, a third party is taking these leases that were in the Ennismore pot and they're having half and then Ennismore is having a quarter of that and Ackle gets another quarter of that. And this clears up a lot of issues and I think in the future we'll be seeing that it clears up even more issues for Ackle, but that would be that would be random speculation. Um, but yeah, so that was that was interesting for, for leases, but for me. Um, <laughs> but what I am interested in in is in the is in ground rents. And um, where you see those at the moment, because whenever just before all, all this um, with a capital A, there was lots of ground, some ground rents, more than one, which is a lot. And people were saying, oh, it's all gone wrong because these ground rents really they're not for a million years. They're only for sort of five years and it's wrong and bad. So let's hope nothing bad happens because some of those structures could really be shaken up. Um, is this something bad that's happened? And have those structures been shaken up? No. It, well, Again, it's a, it's the way I tend to think of things. Ground rents are the same as debt. They're the same as sale leasebacks. They're the same as any of these things. If if things are done properly uh, at the right time on the right assets, then it won't cause you a problem. If things are overstretched or done badly or on the wrong assets at the wrong time, then people are going to have problems. Um, so, yeah, and, and most of those problems, frankly, are around overgearing. As with anything, uh, anything that causes a problem, you can have a perfectly satisfactory operational world that someone is someone is working in but if they overgear anything then ultimately that's going to come back and bite them so um there are two types of ground rents there are ground rents and um another phrase which i'm I'm loath to use that some people some people have coined of fat ground rents which personal opinion they they don't really exist uh so you have a, a ground rent, and the idea of a ground rent is that Actually, what you're doing is ultimately raising the value of the land that the assets sit on. So if you think of when you're building a new property and let's say it costs all in from beginning to end 100 million, of that 100 million, 50%, so 50 million will be what it costs to build the property in terms of the construction cost. Um, 20 million is the sort of developer's profit, as it's known, the, the margin on top that someone has to have a profit and otherwise nobody would build anything. And 30% is the, the value of the land, so the price of the land to buy to build something on. And obviously, that varies hugely, but as a 
in the traditional world, that's what the starting point where those kind of margins were. And ground rents are, should be geared to that sort of level. So when you're when you reverse engineer from raising those sort of capital amounts, and if you think of it like a loan as a, a low LTV, the idea is that you're taking such a small amount of the income out in that 10 to 15% of the dollar of a business away uh, to do this. And you're raising that on cap rates of 30 to 50 times against assets that are valued on you know, 10 to 20 times as, as businesses. It should be value recruitive. Um, and what you're leaving people with is something that happens fairly regularly in the world anyway. When someone buys a portfolio of what they think are free ho- hotels, quite often there'll be one or two long leases in there anyway. So the idea is that you're leaving people with the majority of the income, the majority of the value uh, in the asset and the ability to go away and operate them. And all the problems that have been around ground rents, and there have only been a few, have been where people have looked to overgear on day one. Um, and that's where banks have been stressed about putting um, additional debt secured against the long leasehold interest, and rightly so. So, again, I think it comes back to when things are done correctly and not abused, then they don't really cause people problems. When they are abused or done wrongly, it can cause issues. Um, so, absolutely, I mean, we, we haven't had any, um, any, any issues, and we're in pretty much constant contact with our uh, counterparties, tenants, um, friends, think of them, describe them how you will. So we, we've had a relatively straightforward ride with people because <clears throat> we try and work with them. Uh, we try and work with the banks who are there and we try and be as helpful as we possibly can. But the majority of cases, because the actual cost that we're talking about on the ground rent is such a small amount of their their fixed cost going through, it shouldn't be something that causes an issue. Well, thank goodness that everyone does everything properly. Well, yes, the world would be a much better place if most people did. Less interesting there. So you raised a valid point. This is um, once again, and um, you you have quite a good insight into the various different. As we know, the hotel stack is vast. You have, from your vantage point, you've got quite a good insight into, at least across um, the tenant, landlord, bank bit of it. Is everyone so, so specifically? We just talked about um, ground rents and everyone, everything being structured properly. Is everyone playing ball? Is everyone working together? We are um, deeply, I was going to say suspicious. I don't think that's the right term. We're intrigued as to whether there's going to be some grinding halt um, when it's all going to go horribly wrong. There we go. As my friend has just so eloquently put it. Um, do you think that's going to happen or, or have we passed the point where it might have done? Uh, and so we all sail off into the sunset with a pack of digestives and everything's happy. Well, we've passed the point of where the biggest risk of that happening, I think. Uh, there's always still a risk of it. And I think the one thing that has been irrespective of, you know, what the structure is, I think, um, what could have happened, and again, when you compare what's happened now to the GFC 12, 13 years ago now, um, actually, there was so much more fallout in terms of uh, distress that came out of that scenario than has come out here. Yet, even during the GFC, people were, there were no restrictions on trading. It was just a, the economic need for hotels, as for other parts of the economy, dipped down for a period. Uh, there was a huge amount of stress, and that actually caused a much bigger fallout than we're seeing here. Hotels have been fo- forced to close, along with some other businesses, have been forced to close for periods. But actually, I think it's been incredibly positive um, how capital providers, equity, debt providers have worked together with actual hotel owners and operators to say, actually, 
you know, this is something that's actually nobody's fault. Let's try and find a way of working through because, you know, the whether you call it a recession or whether you call it the economic fallout of a of an incident um, has been driven not by anybody's fault or an issue, and we're actually in a relatively robust position in most parts of the economy before. Um, you know, most banks have, have taken a position of actually we're not going to be enforcing on on covenants. We're going to restructure what we need to do just to keep people open and running. I think it's a factor of nobody's ever seen anything like this before, rather than people, you know, walking into doing things as I mentioned before about structuring, overstructuring, and, and overgearing. This hasn't been caused by that. This has been caused by a totally different reason. So that's one of the most encouraging things about it, how it hasn't had the knock-on effect that it could have by people taking a common-sense approach. Just come back to that. If you can't blame someone, then there's no claim, and that's all fine, and we carry on. Mm. And, and, you know, the strange thing that you're seeing at the moment is you know, the biggest issue in terms of building back in, in business, and we're getting into where I'm totally not an expert, but uh, from, from our conversations with our, with our tenants but also other hotel operators, um, is staffing is the bigger issue than actual demand at the moment. Um, actually getting people, sufficient people in the business to service the demand that there is there and try and marry that as it grows back to full occupancy over whatever period that's going to be, that's actually a bigger issue than the actual demand itself for the product. Very much so. Um, I wonder if this may come, we're going to wrap this up um, and ask you the same questions that we ask all our guests towards the end of the episode. Um, feel free to wedge any more biscuit facts that you have in there, but I wonder whether you're... I have more, but they're not quite as good, but I might throw one in. Please do. I wonder if your starting point may come up as well. Um, okay, so the first question, when the shutters came up and I had the jabs in my arm, the first thing I did was... Booking a, week, book a weekend away with my wife in a hotel. Very good. And you get bonus husband points for saying that. I, the need to get out of the house, indeed. But uh, you know, bringing it back to the, to the subject, it is that need of human beings to actually get out and do things that, you know, I'm, I'm probably t- sometimes too much of an optimist, but I genuinely feel that that is going to come back more robustly than people think. I think everyone's making business plans based on scenario A with a, a real hope and expectation that it's going to be better than that. And you know, I'm, I'm hopeful it will be as well. What about the best The best thing about the hotel sector is? Uh, well, I think two sides. I've mentioned one of them earlier. As an investor in a hotel sector, the best thing is that you, you have better quality information, as I mentioned before, on which to base what you're doing. And it's something that you know, I bang on to people about that all the time. Uh, and I just think it's absolutely fantastic the way that the industry produces this data that can actually help you do it. Um, as a customer, the best thing about it is just the ability to create experiences. Um, yeah, I, I recently went on holiday with my wife and finally managed to get away. Uh, and you know, I think one of the things that came out was that for some people where it's a, a vocation rather than just a job, people in that service industry. Uh, and it was just the most fantastic experience. And genuinely, I think they were – probably shouldn't advertise, so I won't say the name, but the, the hotel, the staffing and the way they worked, probably just returning and being so happy to be working again post-pandemic. But – the levels of going above and beyond in terms of making people happy and giving them a fantastic time was something that either I'd forgotten how good it was or it was better than I'd ever experienced, you know, even down to, you know, retain really enjoyed a meal by the chef and the waitress dragged him out and said, um, asked for my email address and said, we're going to give you, he's going to email you the, uh, the recipe and how to cook this particular meal. And just things like that were just fantastic. And the same have people you? went, have you you I have. Yeah. 
very successful. Not quite as good as his, but um, by third <laughs> by third go, I'm hoping it'll be there. No biscuits in it, the next thing. Ah, uh, well, may, that may be the secret ingredient I'm missing was uh, digestives, but you can but try. And um, the hotel sector would be significantly improved if uh, <laughs> my my pet hate um, about hotels. Um, and it might seem a, a bit of a strange one, but it's quite a small subject. Lighting. Um, I don't know anybody else who has this. So uh, needing a degree in physics to operate in lighting in hotel rooms and lighting being inadequate is a, it, it's the biggest symptom that the aesthetics over function that you get sometimes, which is really frustrating. So, um, yeah, don't need to go on too much about that. It, it's, it may seem such a small thing, but actually genuinely as a, as a customer, if, that kind of thing can really, really frustrate. And actually, there have been plenty of occasions where it actually have been turned off entire brands or sub-brands just because of you know how things are going to work and you really don't like it. My particular favourite is when you have to clamber out of bed to go and turn the bedside light off and you just, at that point... I, I don't understand what's wrong with having one or two light switches that work lights rather than, again, a degree in astrophysics to try and work out the entire lighting system in a hotel room. So, hotel lighting suppliers, if you may sort that out, that'd be tremendous. I'm not on Twitter, so I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be uh, bullied or hatred. So, I, I'm fine with that. No, but this may be the beginning of the change. So, let's see how that works out. And um, the hotel. Uh, sorry, the uh, what the industry needs now is. Um. An entity created, which I don't I personally don't think is there, where people can coordinate together about how it responds, whether it's re- the regulatory world or how it operates, and it's just such a disparate world out there, in the hotel world out there. So you know, it probably means two or three different parts of it, but you know, real estate investment into hotels, possibly one area, operational side somewhere else, and th- there isn't a, a body that I know of that really adequately does that, and I think the industry is absolutely crying out for it whether it's the ability to lobby, to, to um, share ideas about how it's doing. Um, it's, it, it's just an enormous area that's missing, I feel. And it's not just hotels. There are so many areas out there that there's this strange thing that they just can't get together. And there are so many small bodies that are just fighting each other because they're trying to hold their own, hold, hold their own position rather than creating something that's for the better of the industry. You have done your homework and preparation for this meeting, haven't you? No, just just first thing that comes in the head. Apart from the biscuit bits, I did my homework on the biscuit bits. <laughs> um, okay, and the final question: I'd like to think we've learnt from this. Dot dot dot. You know, the fear is that um, it's, there's a positive and negative that human beings have pretty short memories. So, again, using the GFC as an example, everybody thought nobody was ever going to do anything bad again. Within two or three years, people were doing all the same things that they used to now actually there's a lot of that which you hope actually will come in in that people return to previous behaviors in terms of the demand drivers of of um you know using hotels using other other assets um so the fear is that that um you know we, we won't have those short memories in certain areas but i think the thing that um i mentioned it previously the thing that i think we have learned is that the Different people with vested interest have to work together whenever you have any kind of difficult time, whether it's an economic shock or this social shock that we're having at the moment. And actually, it's, I, I've found that to be incredibly positive, as I mentioned before, about how people have – it could have been so much worse if people didn't actually get together and say, I'm not going to be enforcing on you 
the loan covenants, yes, you're in breach. I'm not going to be enforcing. Let's just find a way of working. We'll extend and, and take out these covenants and just allow you to get through what's going to be happening now and let's worry about it and work again at it in a year's time or two years' time. So that's the thing that I, I, I didn't think was going to happen and has been one of the massive positives, I think. Very good. And very grateful we are we are to. I think you might be onto something with the um yeah, we are lacking, aren't we? There are various different bodies and association. And we saw we saw, didn't we, very early on how the airlines just mustered uh because they were there and they went straight to the authorities and said, right, well we this is this is who we are and this is what we need, and they got it straight away. Yeah. I think it's uh, you know, a lot of the service industries, um, you know, whether they're real estate connected or not, um are pretty terrible and then you have the odd one where it's fantastic and you can see the difference in in how it works with whether it's government support in in times like this or it's just actually the little things that need to be done in the, in the normal way of life and it's just entirely lacking unfortunately at the moment i think in in this area and a lot of other areas of hospitality as well you know the pub world the, a lot of other areas the leisure world um you know retail as one of the hardest times actually has slightly better organized in terms of how they get together and do their lobbying so um you know things that can definitely be learned from that let's hope so and um, we uh, we've learned we've learned an awful lot um mainly about biscuits and people from liverpool so we are enormously grateful <laughs> to you for that thank you very much for your time a pleasure to catch up with you. I'm really glad everything's going well. Um, glad you got to get away, had some sunshine. Um, and yeah, biscuit facts, we should be, I mean, that's all we need to know really, isn't it, for, for the foreseeable? I'm available for hire for, for fact collecting and, and proving. So, um, yeah, people hit me up for that. I think that's what the younger people say, isn't it? <laughs> you heard it here first. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Catherine. Thanks, Emily. Thanks, Catherine. Thank you to both of you. I'm going to desiccate everything I own now and then just carry it around so I can pour water onto it and eat it later. I think, and I think that Spuddy would enjoy that. Pour water, add a little bit of sugar, turn everything into alcohol, and the world will be fine. Well, there you go. On that note, thank you everyone for listening. Um, like, subscribe, do all the things that you're supposed to do. Um, very, very much enjoyed having your company, and please do join join in. Tune in, join in, or however you fancy, really. Bring a biscuit. Join us next time. Bye-bye. So that concludes our thoughts for this week. Thank you to everyone involved in creating this episode and providing something for your ears whilst walking the dog, washing the cat, chopping the veg, or however else you pass the time while podcasting. Please do review and subscribe if you get your ear entertainment via Apple, or follow new tricks if your ear delight comes from Spotify. These things make a difference apparently. Until next time.